When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so we don't have many rules here in the Pass Interference Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. But one is we do not bring on six-time New York Times best-selling authors to the podcast, except when we do, it's Michael Holly, NBC Sports Boston co-host Felger and Holly at night. I emailed you understanding this would be a big day, the day that we would talk about Bill Belichick leaving. A man you know very well that uh, folks who I think forget, Michael, all of the books that you wrote at the beginning, being in the car with Bill, being yeah. in the meeting rooms with Bill, basically yeah. everywhere but the shower, I, I would assume and hope. Um, Don't assume that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't assume that. Yeah. And so. so I've never, never, listen, I'll tell you this true story. I've never been in the shower with Bill Belichick, just put that on the record. Yeah. Uh, but I have been in Bill's childhood bedroom. Mm. I, I slept in Bill's childhood bedroom because when I was working on the first book, Patriot Reign, which is now, Andrew, oh my God, 20 years old this year, 20 years. Uh, when I was working on that first book, uh, had an opportunity to travel with Belichick to, um, we went to Wesleyan to see his, all his college haunts, uh, the fraternity spot, you know, all the, you know, meeting some of his, you know, a couple of his uh, classmates were there, met them. So we leave from Middletown, Connecticut, to Annapolis, Maryland. I'm doing most of the driving at that point because he was worn out going to Annapolis. And he was like, hey, you know, can stay at my stay at my house, stay at my folks' place. So he slept in the guest room. I slept in his childhood bedroom. All right. How about that? I, I love it. I love the episodes where we start in a place that I would never, ever expect as a guy who writes the rundown, picks a guest, and you want to just jump into Bill's bedroom uh, down there as a place that I don't know how many people have been. See, like, see when you phrase it like that, now you like, okay, now you make me sound like a creep a little bit, but that's all right. I appreciate yeah, you. It's okay. But no, really, man, I'm happy to be on. I'm glad you said that at the beginning, too, that there are no rules, because I was thinking, uh, can I cuss on here? Yeah. Because I think I think we may need to. I think we may need to throughout the course of this uh, episode just to, and not gratuitously, just to make no. some points, man. There are a lot of points that need to be made, and sometimes you need to make them with some color. Exactly. And I think the best way to put it is yesterday was a holy shit moment, right? Yeah. Like, And I, I, I don't have to tell you, 
about what Bill means. And I think you are someone, again, people forget knows Bill as well, if not better than anyone else in the market. And here I thought today was just going to be about Belichick. Looking back, 24 years of history, 20 of them great, four, eh. And then looking ahead briefly, no, no, no. We had news break earlier this morning that my colleague Doug Kide at the Herald has confirmed. Gerard Mayo is the next guy. And I want to talk about Gerard. But we cannot just do the thing that everyone does in modern media, which is just go on to the next when the thing behind us is now Bill Belichick. Greatest coach of all time, 24-year run, six Super Bowls, all that. So just sticking with yesterday, the press conference, mutual parting of the ways you heard Robert speak, Bill speak, Robert talk to us later. But just in that 10 minutes around noon in the meeting room at Gillette Stadium, what was was your initial takeaway? Just the first thing that hit you right in the face. Uh, It hit me right in the face is that here we are, you know, Bill Belichick saying goodbye to New England. Okay. I mean, I, I just, we've talked about this, Andrew. We've talked about it all season long. Um, most people in the media were not surprised that Belichick moved on. But just to see it happen, it's like planning for something. And then when it's when the day comes, when the moment comes, you look at it and say, I can't believe this is happening. And so that, that was the first thing. Here's Bill Belichick standing here saying we've mutually decided to, well, we've decided to move on, which I know did not happen. It's, it's never mutual. Uh, it's never amicable. Uh, even if it's not nasty, it's not always amicable. There's always a what if in somebody's head. The person who doesn't want to quite move on, that person is kind of thinking, well, do we have to do this? So right. it was Robert Kraft making the decision to move on from Bill Belichick. He presented it in that way out of respect uh, for Belichick. And and my other thought is, as as much as that was just kind of a euphemistic uh, firing, it was better for Belichick to present that way. He's there. He's got his tie on. It's, you know, he's, it's straight. He's got a, a nice press shirt on. Not wearing that striped shirt he wore for like four or five straight days last week. What'd you make of the jacket, though? Like the the checkered, it's not checkered. I don't know my fashion, but it was like this kind of gross blue orange combination. I don't say to yeah. like there's a brown in there. Right. I'm just thinking, like, little this, plaid. yeah, little yeah, window pane, little window pane. Yeah, uh, like if you just had all this time to pick the one jacket where you're going to say goodbye in a press conference laid out forever, you're like, yeah. Granted, we're not being totally serious here for the folks who think we're just kind of picking at Bill. But well, if, if people think they're they're picking at Bill, uh, if if they're if they're doing that, then they don't understand the Andrew Callahan, uh, Michael Holly podcast today. They just don't, yeah, under- yeah. they're not familiar with your work. If they think, Oh my God, there's no, there is no room for humor here. This is very serious. Um, no, but I think he needed it. Andrew, think about it. Like the last time, if he, if he doesn't have this, if Bill releases a statement, doesn't say goodbye. There's even more emptiness. Your last vision of him is leaving a snowy field at Gillette stadium with his face covered, he look. You know, he looked like he looked like you know when those people do the uh, the athletes when they're preparing for a video game and they wear all black and they're moving around so somebody can like capture their actions for for the virtual space. He was yeah. just like, who knew? Who knows who that was? I mean, you can't. That can't be your final image of Bill Belichick. Having Bill Belichick have his humanity uh, shine through in that moment. Breaking up a couple of di- a couple of times, thanking the fans, and awkwardly thanking Robert. Hey, Robert, all you've done for me. He needed that more than he knows. I agree, and I, I honestly thought they nailed the dismount 
I, I said it today. I think Bill had the perfect words at the start, which was gratitude and celebration. And I'm not here saying I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid that they were pouring there for 10 minutes because you're right. I don't understand why it would be mutual for Bill, let alone just a 71-year-old man who wants to uproot and move with his whole family who double as two of his closest confidants and assistants on his staff. It's not the truth. But I think acknowledging what the moment meant to each of their legacies, the history of the game, the history of the franchise that brought them together, they handled that publicly in the best way possible. And I thought it was sincere and Bill met the moment in a way you often see him meet those significant moments. Super Bowl weeks, Aaron Hernandez saga, um, Brady at the end. Like you get the version of Bill that we want Wednesday and Friday and Sundays after losses and never get. So I, I was I was struck, like you said, by the magnitude of the moment, but also on a personal level, thinking back to reading your books as a kid, following the team, understanding how much my journey has just been shaped by this this man and this, you know, owner and quarterback, like it's crazy and it's over. And there are parts that do go unsaid though, right? Not just like the ugly ones you want to shun under the rug or whatever happened Tuesday, Wednesday that led up to Thursday. Is there anything about this that you understand? Because it came out very quickly. I will say this, that the Atlanta Falcons have been interested in bill for weeks. And well, we know there's back channeling with people at that levels of yeah, power, man. coach or ownership. Like what, what went unsaid Falcons or otherwise? I'd be shocked if he doesn't go to the Falcons. I said before he was fired uh, that I'd be shocked that if he stayed, I'd be shocked if he stayed. And I said that, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it would just be stunning to me if Bill Belichick stayed, but Atlanta makes a lot of sense for him for what he wants. Um, so think about this. He has, there, there's a long history between the Falcons and Patriots this century, when when Arthur Blank bought the team uh, in you know late night early two thousands, he bought the team. The, one of the first people he went to was Robert Kraft. He went to Robert Kraft for advice, and and Kraft was still a new ish owner in the league. He had been in the league uh, like you know fewer than ten years, but uh, Blank still respected. Hey, here's a new guy. He knows what to do. Uh, he's already moved on from a coach and hired another coach of Bill Parcells and he got in Belichick. So Arthur Blank is, is kind of, you know, fascinated with Patriot culture. That's one. He also just, Oh, by the way, went to Babson back in the day. Uh, so he's got a, he's got a, a collegiate tie to the area. And then when Mike Smith was coaching the Falcons, Mike Smith and Belichick got close because Thomas Dimitrov and Belichick are close. Because Bill, Tom Dimitrov's dad, used to work for Bill with the Browns. <laughs> okay? So, so look, look at some of the connections here. And then uh, Scott Pioli was there as assistant general manager. Mm -hmm. Like, along the way, there's always been an Atlanta Patriots, Atlanta slash Belichick tie. And now you look at Dimitrov, who was a fantastic general manager. If you, if you look at his right now, and I did recently, went back and looked at his record. And he, he won an executive of the year award, but I'm looking at some of the draft picks, you know, bringing in Matt Ryan, bringing in Julio Jones, getting that team into contention and the way, the start that he had, he had a pretty damn good record as a general manager and he's outside the game now. So what is Bill's weakness? I can tell you, I, I can tell you what it is. It's personnel. If he doesn't have the right person around him, he looks very, very average to below average. If he has the right people around him, he's promoted as as one of the greats it's a very it, he is a personnel dependent coach 
He may not admit that, but that's what he is. Well, as they all are, right? I mean, yeah, no one, no one's but, taking a snap. But like, especially him. Especially him. <laughs> and so now you think about this. Dimitrov needs to get back into the game. He feels like he should be in the game, and he should. And Belichick uh, and Arthur Blank, and Arthur Blank, hey, Belichick is available as a free agent. I think what's going to happen, you're going to have Belichick go to Atlanta. You're going to have Thomas Dimitrov back in. It may not be, his title may not be general manager because Terry Fontenot was there. I think Fontenot, maybe Fontenot stays in a different role, kind of like when Danny Ainge came into the Celtics. I know I'm mixing sports. Danny Ainge came into the Celtics. Chris Wallace remained the general manager, but Ainge was the guy leading basketball operations. I think Thomas Dimitrov is going to lead football operations. Bill knows him and trusts him, which is a big thing with Bill these days. And the Falcons, here we come. Bill Belichick, Atlanta Falcons. Dirty birds. Let's make it happen. So it's sad to say, but we all knew this was coming. The Patriots season is over. Then again, the NFL playoffs are here, and you can still win on your own at America's number one sports book, FanDuel. FanDuel right now is offering new customers $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's $150 waiting wanting for you at FanDuel. All in bonus bets, win or lose. The FanDuel app is so easy to use and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Believe it, I've used it. Celtics games all the time. You can also find new bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and lots, lots more. Money line, point spread, you name it. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step. To 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 789 or visit ccp.org slash chat in Connecticut and Indiana. Call 1 800 9 with it, 1 800 522 4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas and Louisiana. That's 1 877 770 STOP. Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. In West Virginia, visit 1 800 gambler.net or call 1 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Um, I had my eye in Dallas. I don't want to spend too much time on Bill's speculation. Like you said, we've done that the last two months on your show, on this podcast, other places. It's fun, but we're all going to find out in a way that we found out this morning about Gerard Mayo to the Patriots, which again, I assure the folks, we are going to get to. Um, one more thing about Bill, because you mentioned he's personnel dependent. And again, I, I would say that of every coach, uh, it's also your assistants around you. Like Dan Campbell is still meathead, but now he's meathead genius because he's yeah. surrounded by Ben Johnson, who ben we're all calling for all of our problems in life because he's suddenly just the best uh, person that we know and the smartest human being within football. But that aside, is that really just what changed here at the end for Bill? Like I mentioned at the outset, 20 great years. The last four, yeah. And and Robert said in his own words, yeah, he's been he's been pretty tough. Um, 
was it just the brain drain finally got to him understanding, you know, free agency wasn't good. The draft picks didn't hit and the quarterback was an issue. But aside from that, is there anything about Bill changed or is it strictly the people around him? Yeah, I think I think the number one thing is that they had a think tank going for for an elite think tank, uh, unlike anything we've seen uh, in NFL history for what they wanted. See, I think a lot of people and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, too, because we always talk about the Belichick tree. Oh, the Belichick tree uh, sucks because look at these guys go off on their own and they're not anything. Well, see, that was not the Bel- that was not the promise of the Belichick tree. The, the promise of the Belichick tree was if this tree is here in, in the 617, 508, whatever, if it's in Foxborough, New England, this tree will be successful. This tree will bear fruit where it is planted. I never told you that hey, these were superstars who could go out and run their own operation. What I've tried to do, this is Bill Belichick's perspective, what I've tried to do is build an organization that is successful and gets it done. So just like he is with players, he, knew, he vintage Belichick knew exactly what he wanted from a player. Sometimes a guy, you know, I, I, got, a, I got a vision for you, and it, it's 25 snaps, but you're going to dominate those 25 snaps. I got a vision for you as a third-down guy, as a uh, two-down guy, as a three-down guy. That's my vision, and you're going to fulfill it. Just like he did that with players, he did that with coaches. So Josh McDaniels was a perfect coach for Belichick. Belichick never said, I'm going to hire you because I think you're going to be a a great head coach one day. No, I'm going to hire you because I think you can fulfill this role for me. And he had a lot of those guys uh, at one time throughout the organization, and those guys just ran out. It was just – he there. And, and, and I want to point out, they ran out for him, and what he needed, you can't do in the NFL. What he really needed, once he got to his late 60s and early 70s, what he needed was a sabbatical. So oh. you, need a, you need a six-month sabbatical to recharge and find the next generation. And he, you, can't do that in, you can't do that in sports. So he used to do that. He used to be... He used to be in tune with who was coming next. He had people in college football who would say, hey, hire this guy. So Nick Saban told him, hire Brian Dayball. Brian Dayball told him, hire Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels would tell him about people. And then he kept finding you. He had somebody would tell him, hey, Matt, this guy, Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien. It got to the point where he's getting resumes and CVs across his desk from the, the next guy. So we look at Sean McVay that way. Now, Belichick had that organizationally. I mean, I, I, and Andrew, I just, this is why I said, this is why I'm going to start cussing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just, this, this shit is high level, man. This is like, I don't, I don't really don't think people understand. This is hard. How, how deep it was. Yeah. Not just from a roster standpoint and a coaching standpoint, but executives. You know how many damn, general managers and college scouting directors they had in the room at the same time like flores flores used to work in, in scouting so brian flores was in scouting then went to coaching uh nick casario continued to be in scouting and coaching in 2007 nick casario was on their coaching staff so so it was casario it was brian flores it was jason light general manager of the Buccaneers. It was Thomas Dimitrov. I mean, you had John Robinson, 
get all of these guys in Foxborough. Scott Pioli. I mean, it's insane the amount of talent you had there. And so Bill got all of the credit. He deserved he deserved a lot of it for putting the operation together. But there were things that happened without Bill overseeing the production of it because everybody was at such an elite level. And they and they lost that. Like they I would not vouch for anybody they have right now in personnel. Would not vouch for them. And I think it extends to the coaching staff, which, you know, I wrote extensively uh, about and reported with Doug and some of the dysfunction. But I think the, you know, bigger takeaway from that when you stand back and we go, okay, people don't get it wrong, you know, get along or sometimes they rub people the wrong way for whatever that's worth. Is that like Vinny Sinceri is a guy who just got out of the NFL playing defense and is now coaching running backs. And Ross Douglas, who since left for Syracuse, is coaching wide receivers after he played linebacker and safety. Uh, in college. And so Bill is replacing a lot of the talent that you mentioned with these young guys who don't know any other culture or environment or any other system or processes of gaining information or evaluating. And that's who's getting replaced. Like Word. Brian Flores doesn't work his way up 18 years in the Patriots organization if he entered six years ago. He's already the defensive coordinator in six years, like Matt Groh, yeah. head yeah. of personnel, comes up. It's all he knows. He's a young guy. And Bill promotes him partly because he's a yes man. And Matt Groh is very smart. But when you had that lack of experience and that lack of diversity of thought in both of those departments, coaching, which obviously the biggest example is last year with Patricia and Judge, and then the personnel side, where even under Matt Grell, like Steve Cargill leading the pro uh, scouting department, very hardworking, smart guy. Cam Williams, the same deal. Cam Williams might be younger than me at 32. Like, I have to look this up, but I should not be running a pro personnel department if I started eight years ago. Like, that's just not enough time. Right. So it's interesting to see that. What Mayo will do, and I want one final thought on Belichick and then we'll move on, All right, is just bring that, I don't know, what's the opposite of drain? He'll replenish those yeah. thoughts. And it might be the familiar faces, John Robinson, Dave Ziegler, um, Bob Quinn. You know, it sounds like Thomas is going to stay in Atlanta to restore the franchise. And I'm curious how much of not the fact that they were here in the first place, that they were original Patriots matters, though that's why they're coming back, but the difference they'll make is based on what they learned when they left and Ziegler was in Vegas and made mistakes. And Bob Quinn is now in Cleveland bringing in analytics. And John Robinson has been doing the same thing you just talked about. He took a sabbatical. That dude was in Tampa Bay and Jacksonville going to practices and learning different methods that are not the Patriots and learning more analytics, which they basically shunned. And I don't know who comes into personnel, but it's interesting that if the Patriots does take off, Gerard will get a lot of the credit. But it's the same people you just mentioned under Bill that will be driving this as much as he was at the top, it'll just be a new face of the franchise and drive. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I remember Belichick, you know, saying to me uh, one time when he gave the coaches, he used to give, uh, he's a stickler, as you can imagine, um, that teacher that you don't necessarily like in the moment, but you think back 10 years and you say, I'm, I wouldn't be here without her or without him. Yeah. He was that guy. So he really was uh, tough on all of the coaches, veteran coaches, whatever, he'd stand, he'd stand up in team meetings and say, hey, the coaches need to get their shit together. He would do that. And he would give specific examples. But I remember him giving the coaches an assignment after one of the seasons, and he said to me, like, I got to teach these coaches how to coach. I have, I have to coach the coaches. Yep. And so that, that, was, um, that, that was a part of it. But uh, my final thought on him is, yeah, the brain drain. Yeah, you got to get the, the next generation – but you also have to be humble enough to know I got to listen 
to other people. And he stopped and he said, he's a great listener in his prime, a great listener. And he stopped listening as, as, as much as he used to. I mean, he would like, he would let people who I would look at and say, well, what's their, what's their credentials? He would listen to them if they had good ideas. Um, but you know, the stories are out there. We know all the stories. Like, how do you sign? Like, how do you, how do you draft Nikhil Harry over freaking Debo Samuel? How do you do that? And, and AJ Brown, you know, how do you uh, move up for Tyquan Thornton when there are other receivers there? And he did, you know, how did you, why would you draft Lawrence Maroney when people told you not to do it? Like it goes back where he had little sprinkles of not listening and it just got louder and louder at first. Like those guys knew, okay, Bill may not listen all the time, but then it just got to the point where he was, his episodes of not listening got more and more frequent. Like even some of the best players that the Patriots got, I remember on draft day, way, way back in the day, um, his fifth round, he said, hey, Bill, who are you going to pick? He goes, Dan Copen, center, Boston College. And Pioli was like, what the fuck, man? This dude's a good player. <laughs> this guy, I mean, like, this dude can play, Bill. He was like, all right, yeah, put the card in. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> hey, man. Like, he just had, sometimes he just gets an idea about a player for, a reason that doesn't always make sense and he'll go with them. And if you look at his draft record, you can see like the last four years, he wasn't listening or, or he was listening to the wrong people. It's one of the, he wasn't listening or listening to the wrong people. That's, that's the big thing for me because again, he tries to replenish this a couple years ago. Patricia comes back. Judge comes back. You're just not listening to the right people who on their own in New York and Detroit showed you what they're all about and what they're all about was not enough to, drive winning football. And so, you know, I dropped that story yesterday at the sports hub saying, yeah, there are people in the draft room as you were once upon a time who have relayed stories to me where they'd have their board organized and there'd be a player at the top. It's a fourth round or so. And they need to make a pick and Bill just looks over a column or two and says, actually, give me that guy. And no one's standing up to him because they can't because everyone well, came up and learned at his knee and he might not be listening as much. It doesn't mean he's a bad coach. No one's saying that. It's right. just when you want to identify how does the team fall? You lose the greatest quarterback of all time. You have four years since then. It's drafting. It's personnel. It's an inner circle that's never been tighter or more inexperienced. Um, and that's that explains it. But well, but it's also it's also Andrew just quickly because he's completed that pass before. He's done that before. I mean, that's how he got he got a Super Bowl MVP that way. And I'm not talking about Brady. I'm talking about Deion Branch. Deion Branch. The scouts had him rated on uh, what they call the backboard. And so, and, you know, Bill just came in and was like, no, no, that guy's too productive. He's too good. You got him rated wrong. We want him in the second round. And, you know, look what happened with Deion Branch. So great he's done that before. He's like, yeah, I've done this. I know what I'm looking for. And he'll just go against this guy. Like, more often than not, it's worked out for him. But the last four years, he's just he's just in a rut. Yeah. All right, final thought on Bill, and I want to squeeze this in because, you know, naturally after all of yesterday, you start to make some calls and see what's next, who could be stepping in, where is Bill going to go, who might be next. We know, again, Gerard Mayo is the next head coach. We're getting to him in a minute. But uh, it's my understanding that the Crafts came into this season believing that they would win a playoff game this year. And I know Robert Kraft said <laughs> before the season, you're shaking your head in a way that I think for the folks just listening have to appreciate that that head went as far back as you possibly could and you are still shaking it until just stopping now. But the point is, 
Bill failed in a way that we all recognized and wrote about, even if you thought they'd be an 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight team. As a reminder, Stevenson told me on the record the other day, I thought we'd at least be 8-9. and nine. Um, In the crowd's oh, eyes, this should have okay. been 10 or 7 or better. And that's that's how big the fall was for them, which is why, as Tommy Kern reported uh, about their decision in early November, that's when they knew. Because by then you can't get to 10-7 and seven when you're 2-8. and eight. Like that, This all makes sense now with that understanding that I had, that the crowds really thought – they would be this good and might. They thought they might even extend Bill after the end of this year had things gone well. Well, uh, this is on them then. I think it, it, it is all on them. We've gotten used to saying it's all on Bill, it's all on Bill. This is all on people who have been advising Bill as well or who are who are paying Bill. You know, Kraft said at that press conference yesterday, a very interesting line. He said, we all need a doctor no. Uh, somebody who can protect us from ourselves. So... I guess Kraft is supposed to be Bill's Dr. No. Who's Kraft's Dr. No? Who is your Dr. No, Robert? Because I could have told you for free. I love the job so much. I'm not going to charge you anything. I could tell you for free. Ain't no way in hell this team is going to make the playoffs. You saw this team in training camp. You saw this team uh, in the preseason. No way, no how. Everything goes well. I think the cap is maybe nine. Hey, and think about how bad they are, how bad this team is, that they finished 4-13 and 13 in a year in last place in the AFC East in the same year that Aaron Rodgers was out for the season. Zach Wilson got benched. Trevor Simeon was in there. I mean, you think you – know, Well, and they beat Buffalo. I, I don't want to pick at the scab, though. Like, but we, but, we but all what I'm just saying is it's, a bad, right. it's a bad roster. It was a bad it's roster. A bad roster. Yeah. I did not think – I predicted before the season – Six and 11. And I did not waver on that. The only thing is I, I, I wanted to slap myself for being a little bit of a punk because um, I, I should have predicted and I thought five and 12. I really did. I, wow. there's not, there was nothing about the Patriots roster that was special to me. Nothing stood out to me. Uh, and I liked Matt Jones at the beginning of the year. I just didn't think he had enough. And you look at all of the, the, the dynamics of the roster. So look, if the Crafts, expected him to make the playoffs and that's why and that's why they decided to go in a different direction okay uh they, then that was a waste of time i don't know how they couldn't see this coming like most most sober like clear-headed and, and sober I'm, I'm using not in the word and not in the uh, pejorative sense but just just clear-eyed i'll say a better better phrase most clear-eyed uh, football fans, football observers, could look at it and say, "Okay, this is what it is." What was your prediction at the beginning of the year? I was nine and eight, and Oops. I know that leaned a little bit optimistic. I was hammering yeah. over. It was here. It was on your show. I was ever. I was like, "They're going to surprise us. It's going to be better." Bill O'Brien, yada yada. Like I, I, looking back, would describe myself as probably not sober in that sense. I mean, I thought I was right. I thought there was evidence. I was at every practice. But I think, again, this is not to hammer for the folks at home how bad it was last year. We all lived it. We all watched right. it. We all suffered. That's that. It's to have a backdrop going into the season what the crafts expected. Everything is about expectations and timing. And so the expectations were well short. The timing now of Bill being uh, parted with on Thursday, Gerard being hired today, Friday, cannot be lost. Because your point about the, the no doctor is a great one. If they don't have no doctor – um, this might be a real risk. I would say it is a real risk with Gerard. And I guess we could put a bow on, on Belichick later. I think Gerard is a tremendous coach. 
everything I've heard about him going back two years ago from people outside the organization is that he's impressive. He's as smart as they come, connects with players, the modern coach that you want. And all I'm saying is a caution is just we don't know yet. And there's right. no guarantee for first-time head coaches, which is just the reality of the situation. The other part is he's only been coaching for five years. And so, again, I think he will be a successful coach. I think he's a great coach and very good at what he does now. But this was a succession plan we now know was put into place. And that was when he had four years under his belt. And that's what kind of makes me worry is if they're so in love in a way that makes you blind, as everyone says. Yeah. That I don't know. I just would have put in a call to Mike Vrabel and seen what was what. Well, yeah, I would say that for the Crafts, they've probably it's been a long time since they've been out out in these uh, coaching streets. But if you look at their record, they got to feel good about their record. Uh, they their first hire was a Hall of Fame coach, not here, but a Hall of Fame coach, Pete Carroll. Yep. Their second hire is Bill Belichick, greatest ever, and now they they. Robert Kraft is not only is he smart, he's got great instincts. He's got tremendous instincts in business and just in life. He's a very instinctive, uh, you know, sensitive person. And I say sensitive as a compliment. So he's got to feel pretty good about what he's done. I mean, you think about organizations that have hired coaches. Some organizations are not good at it. Uh, the best at it, we know, is Pittsburgh. And, you know, in, in 55 years, you look at their record, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin, bam, 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 three Hall of Famers, all of them. So some organizations know what they're looking for. And, and, and Mayo fits that Pittsburgh description because all those guys I just mentioned, the, the Knoll, Cower, Tomlin, they were all hired in their mid-30s, very limited uh, experience. Tomlin probably was the least experienced of the three. Oh, for sure. And they they all they've all had a, a level of energy and dynamism that they brought to the job that attracted others and attracted players. I'm not gonna make any prediction on Gerard Mayo until you tell me though what's going on with the front office. Because if the front office stays the same, he will not be successful. He so won't make it. In those same calls I made last night in in last week, two people have come to the forefront of my mind of who will be the next GM. I don't expect them to use the GM title just because they never have, and that even goes back to Bob Regeer. Mm -hmm. uh, but the point being, who has personnel control, right? That's that's what matters most. Elliot Wolf, who's currently the director of scouting, guy who came from Green Bay, 14 seasons under his dad, Hall of Famer Ron Wolf, then goes to Cleveland for a couple of years and has since been in New England. He is an old school evaluator. Tape over everything. And that's it. I don't think he's particularly aligned with analytics from what I've heard. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just yeah. what are you relying on? What tools are you grabbing to evaluate players? Obviously, the tape is important. He's respected. He's handled uh, free agent negotiations on his own, even though Macro outranked him in the front office. He's got a bigger network. I think he's a little more natural in those settings. He's one name to watch. The other one is Dave Ziegler because Dave got fired in Vegas with Josh McDaniels. I'm not saying he was collateral. He had big whiffs when it came to Chandler Jones. I don't think the Devontae Adams trade was a good idea. They left a bad defense, still bad, not <laughs> a great quarterback. Yeah. That's all pretty damning. But he has a, a combination of things I think the Crafts will find attractive. And now, granted, the big question mark is his relationship with Gerard now that he's a head coach. I don't know anything about that. But he did not start in New England. He came in with an outside framework from Denver that informed him in ways and allowed him to stand up a little bit more, as I understood it, profiling him a couple of years ago. Okay, I'll speak for myself. 
I'm not of this hive mind here with the Patriots just because what Bill said is what Bill goes. I'll push back. He goes up the ladder here, top position replaces. Casario leaves and again begins to implement things that were not done in New England. Okay, more analytics friendly, more collaborative process. Like they really overhauled things there in Las Vegas. He didn't get to finish it. He made mistakes. But those are my two names. Your reaction is what? It's fine. It's it's fine, Andrew. It's just it's it's fine. Those names. <laughs> I don't necessarily need a connection to New England uh, for for the next general manager. I want somebody who can. And this is what I, if I'm Robert Kraft, I, I need to figure this out. Robert and Jonathan Kraft. Okay, how can you? How can you work with uh, a head coach? How, how do you think? What, what do you think? What is your vision? I'm not going to give you the answers to the test. I'm testing you. I'm not giving you the answers. I'm a blue book guy. Hey, hey, hey and let me tell you, Professor Holly is a blue book professor. Professor Holly is not a multiple choice, fill in the blank. I want you to think. That's what you, that's what, that's what I'm paying you for. I'm paying you to think. So I'm not giving you the answer. You're giving me the answer, I, but I'm I'm evaluating you on what you say. What is the best way for a front office person to work with the head coach? Uh, do you think arguments are healthy? Do you think that you need to have the final say over the roster? Uh, is it possible to be collaborative on the roster? And here's my big question: who would you take? I keep asking that. I want to know, at number 22, it's an unfair question. Today, I know the, the answer will change, but based on your evaluating, because they've been evaluating all year. This is late. I don't know if people in the audience understand how late this is for scouts and evaluators. A lot of teams have already stacked their boards pre-Mobile, pre-Indianapolis scout, uh, scouting combines. They did it in December. So they've already stacked it. In January, late. Board stacked. So now they do it again based on, you know, uh, watching more tape and evaluating and talking with players. They'll do it again. So who would you take right now with the third pick in the draft? Tell us about our roster. How good are we? Were we uh, an unlucky uh, nine-win team? Andrew Callahan predicted nine and eight. Is Callahan right? Are we a nine and eight Don't team? listen to him, ever. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And don't talk to him, by the way. Yeah. Harold yeah. Dunst. The Herald's done some damn good reporting. Don't talk to that dude. Um, are we a nine and eight team that just kind of got trapped in four and thirteen, or is four and thirteen accurate? See, I would tell him, I need somebody to come in and say, "Yeah, you are. You're you're not four and thirteen. You're two and fifteen talent. You're four and thirteen because Bill Belichick can coach." But do they want to hear that? Because that's the other part. I don't of care what they want to hear. What right. they need to hear. But that's that matters in the hiring process. Like it doesn't change my answer. My my question is, how much does what the crafts want to hear, which goes for all of us as human beings. No one likes bad news. My yeah. mentions are never worse yeah. than when I'm dropping those stories because it has a lot of bad news, which, so hello, when you're 4, 13, and 8, 9 with a lot of very obvious problems, uh, people are going to talk. Things are going to be bad. The point is, if the crafts had that expectation, as I reported just now, they thought they would win a playoff game this year. And you yeah. go in and say, no, 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 you were not unlucky. You were actually lucky to be four and 13. Right, right, right. If they don't want to hear that, the interview might end right there. I don't okay, know well, if that's the case, but that's a, it's a real crux, I think, for people who go into that job and say, I want control, I want to be aligned. If we disagree on this, there's no reason to move forward. 
Yeah, that's a great point. You bring up a great point. And I think it's a real issue for the crafts going forward because the only thing that to, to circle back, you asked me about uh, yesterday. One thing, one small thing I didn't like about yesterday is Robert Kraft saying, it really bothers me when we don't win. When we don't win games, it, it stays with me all week. Yes, that, that, that plays well to your audience. It plays well to the people who can relate to the aluminum benches, Foxborough Stadium, got it. Okay, he's told that story many times. That plays well, but I'm wondering, Robert, do you understand that it is more likely than not, shout out Ted Wells, <laughs> it, is, it is more likely than not that your team will be under 500 next year, that your team, the team didn't make the playoffs because Bill Belichick did a bad job coaching. The team did a bad, it didn't make the playoffs because Bill Belichick did a bad job building the roster and developing the roster. And so if you bring in whoever you think is the best coach in the NFL, Andy Reid, if that's your guy, Sean McVay, is that, if that's your guy, whoever it is, John Harbaugh, you give John Harbaugh this right now, they're around four or five wins too. What, um, you, well, it struck me that on Monday when we last spoke with, not last spoke with Bill, but really spoke with Bill because we got to ask him questions on Monday. We didn't on Thursday. He used the word reconstruction. So I, I think I remember it, that in his Good mind, on. like it was, that was the shocking thing we never got to. Cause we were all caught up in the contract. Will he give up personnel control? Lo and behold, all of that was, you know, decided as Tommy Curran reported. And I've echoed here in the podcast, you know, I've spoken about, but he seems to understand where the roster's at. And that might've yes. expedited his exit. In addition to what Mike Reese reported uh, last night, that basically he felt he was being undermined with Gerard and certain movements that, uh, Kraft was taking and restricting his power. I would say, hey, don't go eight nine with a dumb uh, offensive coaching mistake, and that's how you don't get your power curve. But that's just yeah. me. Bringing this back to Gerard, though, like it, I'm curious not only just how the Kraft feel about the roster, but how he feels about the roster. And yes. I would think if your point is correct that they'll have to accept you're going to be below 500 next season, um, he'll get some runway here. Like, there's no question you hire the youngest coach in the league. And he gets to develop and find himself in a way that even if they think he's ready, they're going to be growing pains, right? And so what, what would those growing pains look like to you? Like, we know his strengths. Connects well with players. X's and O's. Commands the room. Charismatic guy. We're both on the record. Think he'll be a very good coach. But as a head coach, we don't know until you do it. So where are those problems going to lie? Where are those minds that he's got to navigate? I mean, so many. Uh, maybe, not, maybe not putting the players uh, in the right spots at the right times, uh, maybe not hiring the right. And this veteran coaches do this too. Not hiring the, the right o, o coordinator, not hiring the right D coordinator, not being patient with the coaches, not coaching the coaches hard enough. I mean, we've seen so many examples. Okay. The Steelers are going to play the bills in the playoffs. So two playoff coach, two playoff coaches who are very good coaches in the NFL, Sean McDermott, Mike Tomlin, they both fired offensive coordinators this year. They both got it wrong. And so um, Tomlin has struggled to find his offensive coordinator at times. You stay with Matt Canada and then, you know, he, he's, he's really the Tomlin tree. Is not, he's, he's great, but the Tomlin tree is not great. You know, Sean McDermott, uh, so fired up his offensive coordinator this year. Last year, fired his D coordinator and made himself the D coordinator. How does, how does Gerard spend his time? 
Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about the Sunday NFL. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. How does he spend his time? How does he float between meetings? You know, Bill Coward told me a story. It was great. Um, he used to spend a lot of time with the defensive coaches. He was not the defensive coordinator, but he really leaned on the D coordinator and let them know, this is what I want to see. Yeah, Dick LeBeau. And so, and, and, and others too. Dick LeBeau, yeah, Tim Lewis as his D coordinator for a while. And he said, whenever he would see mistakes, and, and it depends on how do you, how do you, how are you as a manager is, is what I'm getting at. He'd okay. see mistakes on defense. And some of his coaches would be like, hey, we'll get that cleaned up. We'll get that cleaned up. And he would said, intentionally, I would stand up and say, this makes me sick. I'm, I'm bothered that you're not bothered. I need to leave the room. I want you to be as bothered as I am. You know, clean that up, clean that up. That's how we lose games. And then he'd leave. And then he'd come back. And then the coaches would have the right mindset. So these are all things that veteran coaches struggle with, rookie coaches struggle with. How does Gerard Mayo find his way? And, oh, by the way, I haven't mentioned replacing Bill Belichick. I know you're replacing a 4-13 and coach, but you're also – replacing a four and 13 coach who is also the greatest coach of all time. Now to that point, I, I think Gerard is secure enough uh, personally in a way that we saw in his interview with the zoom a couple of weeks ago, talking about uh, Bedard's report about rubbing people the wrong way and was very good about that. And I think it spoke to him personally, also his professional security at the time. Cause I'm like, no one says this if they're on the way out. They say this, if someone else is on the way out who might've leaked that lo and behold, Gerard is staying. That person probably is going. Um, as far as the managing, that will reveal itself, I think, if they start two and five, three and six, whatever it might be, because I think that will be an area where Gerard might have the temptation to do what Bill did, right? As all the assistants do when they leave or become head coaches. Right. And I oh, think yes. Bill so right. going business as usual, there, there's uh, real value in that, right? Stay the course, trust the process, et cetera, et cetera. But – he needs to be authentic through that. If he feels a need to change things up and trust that, because those are going to be the hard times. That's when the locker room phrase or splits and the locker room did not, aside from the quarterback situation this year and characters like Jack Jones and Trent Brown. Um, so Bill kept that together because he had the credibility and the trust of the locker room. Gerard will have that at the start, but when guys are waffling and tilt towards Bill, because he's still the greatest of all time, where are they going to go at three and six? If Gerard starts to act, I would say out of character, which is a lot of projection here, right? But like we know the season will be tough. The bottom line is in those hard moments in a losing season, keeping a locker room together, how is he going to act in a way that no one can know until you're there? That's right. You don't know. You don't know. Um, uh, a, 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 a guy who was recently married, you don't know what kind of husband you're yeah, going right. to be until, until you start. Yeah. And, and those who are um, – you know, moms and dads out there, you don't know what kind of mom or dad you're going to be until you're on the job. There's no way to train for it. People can talk to you about it. Do this, do that. You're not ready. Nobody's ready. You're not ready in the way you think. There are certain things you prepare for, but there are certain things you cannot even imagine. You don't know the personality of the child. You don't know how you're going to respond in certain situations until you do it. So that is that is the... Uh, that is a great unknown. But I do want to say, Andrew, I hear a lot of people saying this. I know you do, too. Hell, it's the old regime. Oh, you know, 
you got to get the old regime out of there. You know, they got to get something totally new. Well, not so fast with that. Because if you have the opportunity, if you were drafted by the greatest and you got a chance to play for him and be on his coaching staff, that is not a bad, that's not inherently bad. What you, if a smart person, an observant person would say, all right, these 20 things he does are fantastic. I'm going to copy these. I would never talk to people like that. I would never handle discipline that discipline that way. I'm going to take out the, and I'm going to take the positives. I mean, that's, that's who we all are. That's right. like all of us, no matter, that's, you are, are you are, um, an amalgamation of, of you've seen and negativity you've seen. Now, some people don't even realize how much negative negativity and they're repeating the behaviors of negative people. And so, yeah, you maybe need to purge that from your from your game. But if you're if you're paying attention and you're around brilliant people, Bill Belichick is not all bad. He did a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> but if if he's the greatest of all time, he's the greatest of all time. So if my if my resume says I was on the coaching staff with the greatest, that's not bad. He did some bad things, but he did a lot of damn impressive things that you should copy. Right. Yeah. The, the first line of the stories yesterday, you know, his obit, whatever the time comes, like the, what goes in the first paragraph? What is he about? What did they do? Bill Belichick, no question, greatest of all time. But I'm so glad you brought this up as we I've taken way too much of your time that I promised. But we'll we'll wrap here in a second on on Mayo, because I think the people who are down on Mayo will say, oh, the crafts are just running it back. This will stay in the family. Nothing's going to change. No, 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 no. Gerard Mayo is ready to modernize the Patriots operations. That goes for the coaching staff and the handling of players. It yes. will go from the front office whenever they land in a GM. This team is going to get an update. OK, we're all going to watch it. And the wheels spin on our laptop, and it'll go from zero to 100%. And at the end, I don't know what it's going to look like. But when it does finish, we are going to get a new franchise here that will build in the foundation, the hardware that Bill built in, and it will be new. It will be fresh. It will be modern in a way that I think a lot of people inside the building, speaking to me, have yearned for. Gerard is the first step of that process. The wheel is now spinning. But there is a way to take the good of everything you just talked about with Bill and the structure and just liven things up and dust exactly. them off and put something new in. I think that's going to happen. The front office part is a bigger question mark, but I think Gerard is the guy to do that on the coaching side. I agree. I agree. All right, and, last and, one. Um, oh, last one. Go ahead, because because you know you know this. The audience doesn't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm on the street. I'm not gonna tell you what street I'm on. I'm on the street, and my wife said you're gonna be at this appointment, <laughs> and I said, but I got to but I gotta talk to Andrew Callahan. Okay, you got to be at this point. You tell Andrew Callahan, you got to be at this appointment. So I'm down the street from this appointment I got to be at. So go ahead. Okay. Last one. So uh, I'm going to get trouble. All right. Now I lied, but we'll do two quick ones. We haven't talked about the offensive coordinator. Uh, I know your feelings about Bill O'Brien staying. I have said all along, just like okay. I said all along, Gerard Mayo is most likely to become the head coach. Gerard Mayo is the head coach. Bill O'Brien, I believe, will stay as offensive coordinator. Okay. If it's not Bill O'Brien, who do you want or what do you want in that coach? Josh McDaniels. Okay. All right. He might be back as assistant head coach. It sounds like he might have an option to go to Atlanta. If not, he could stay here. I know yeah. he has been, uh, I'll put it, sniffing around 
uh, but, for his yeah. next opportunity. And but that's yeah, I mean, O'Brien, look, I, I know restrictions and all this stuff. Uh, it's just 13 points a game, man. It's yeah, I hear sorry. You. I let's <clears throat> come on. I got you. Uh, all right. Last one. Wild card thought. We do this previewing games, and it's always something we haven't talked about yet. Hit on. It could be adjacent to the Bill and Gerard conversation. It could be about the past, the future, the present. We could go back into Bill's bedroom where we started this podcast somehow, some way. Something that is interesting to you, and you have an opportunity now to kind of uh, get off. As you might have in your around the horn days, right at the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it really comes back to it comes back to Belichick and what we've seen in the 24 years. Look, Andrew, uh, Bill Belichick, I always joke with people that Belichick, uh, Belichick and Tom Brady have done more for the Holly children <laughs> than anybody, <laughs> anybody in the history of my family. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anybody. I mean, like, really, but Bill Belichick changed my life. He did. He changed my life. The opportunities that he provided for me, that he, uh, like, I asked questions, and he said yes. I asked questions. Can I write this book? He said yes. And that book led to another book, and that book led to another book. Uh, some he liked and some he didn't like. But he changed my life, and I dare say changed the lives of many of the people who are watching you right now. Changed your life. We didn't talk about football like this in, two, in 1999 and on January 26, 2000, the day before he was hired. We weren't talking about position versatility. We were basic Bs talking about football. Hey, go get Drew Bledsoe, uh, a, a wide receiver in the top 10, and go do this. And we need some more pro bowlers. We weren't talking about value. We weren't talking about uh Guys who, uh, uh, Mike Rabel, who could play offense and defense, and Troy Brown. We looked at Troy Brown as an offensive player. We never imagined he'd play corner. We never imagined that we'd get such high-level coaching and general managing and, and so many different players coming through here. We never saw this coming. So I just, I'm just amazed. I stand in, in gratitude and awe over what we experience. And, I, I know, like, some of the calls for Bill's head have kind of glossed over that. Oh, like, he's got to go. Yeah, yeah, he had to go. It was time. But I, I think we still need some reflection over what we experienced. And now, if, if Gerard Mayo, let's say Gerard Mayo is brilliantly successful. Let's say Gerard Mayo becomes Mike Tomlin. Still only one Super Bowl. Let's, <laughs> uh, okay. Let's say Gerard Mayo becomes John Harbaugh. That's one Super Bowl. They got division titles. Uh, let's say he becomes Andy Reid. That's only two. That's two. Okay, okay, so I mean, like, damn, this motherfucker won six. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. My, and I've told the story before. My son, my my middle one. Would say to me every year, hey, Dad, you're going to the Super Bowl again this year, right? My son doesn't always happen like that. He said, yes, it does. I said, you're too young. You're too young. You don't understand. I said, well, and this is when, like, Tom Brady was 37. I was like, you know, 
that Tom Brady will retire one day and, you know, they won't be great next year, 38, <laughs> 39. They're in that conversation. It's just wild. We experienced it. We saw it. Uh, shame on any of us who said it was just Brady or just Belichick. We saw too much. We saw Ty Law with three interceptions against Peyton Manning. We saw Teddy Bruschi rip the ball from Dominic Rhodes. We saw Troy Brown uh, redeem a Brady interception by chasing down Marlon McCree, forcing a fumble, recovering it. We saw all the kicks. We saw all of this. We experienced it. It made all of our lives better, made us smarter, uh, better. So that, that's all I got to say, man. It's just, it was, uh, what a ride. We'll never see anything like it again, but I'm glad we saw it in our lifetime. I love it. That was well said. I feel like I just want to hit leave and call right now because nothing I'm going to say is going to top that. I mean, you you brought me yeah. down memory lane uh, with and those books, and now again here, um, it uh, that was that was well put. And I, I wrote about reflecting last week, you know, before the last game, just saying, hey, say thank you before goodbye. That's right. Yeah. That's and right. the the way that they started yesterday, Bill started yesterday. Let's be very clear. He was the first to speak in the third or fourth sentence that he said, "This is a day of gratitude." And celebration. celebration. That's good. That's how you and say, I say man. Really, I, I, I and I, I want to say this publicly. I'm just so proud of you, and I'm just uh, amazed by the work that you're doing. You're doing a fantastic job. I always, you know, look at that next generation because I'm old as hell. You know, I won't care. <laughs> well, we got but, the same haircut. I don't know how old I, you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, I look at the next generation and say, okay, what are they doing now? All right, who's coming up? Man, you're doing uh, you're doing an awesome job. I enjoy reading you. I enjoy listening to you. Love your podcast. So I'm just proud of you and all the things that you've accomplished. And you're at the uh, front door of your career. So big things are ahead of you, brother. All right. Well, I appreciate you. We uh, have to get you to that lobotomy that you clearly need there with this appointment that you've got coming up sitting there in the car. Michael Holly, thank you for taking just about double the time that I asked for. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, I will be surely screaming in your face across the desk at another uh, Michael Felger here coming up probably no, sometime be, next week. Keep screaming at Felger. Felger, like, loses his mind sometimes. Like, what happened to him? He just, just loses it. He just has his moments and he comes back. Like, okay, all right. <laughs> you got to sit and wait it out. It's like a tantrum. Uh, That's right. But it's fun. It's fun. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you.